Genesis chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2. I'll get you to read those, brother. Brother. Um, brother Goff, if you would just, I've got some scriptures in the book of Matthew. If you'll be ready in the book of Matthew. Brother Jared, I've got a few scriptures from the epistles. Um, First Peter and James, if you would mark those. And then um, somebody, if, if one of you, whoever, could also get Isaiah chapter 14. That's where we're going to close tonight. But Hallelujah. I really believe the Lord wants to talk to us tonight. So we are going to go to the book of Ezra tonight. Ezra chapter 4. We will read our text. Ezra chapter 4. And we will read verses 1 through 5. Ezra chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5. Amen. It looks like most of you have it. Right after Second Chronicles, if that helps. Amen. Ezra chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then, came, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as the king of Cyrus, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in the building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia even until the reign of Darius king of Persia verse 4 says that the enemies weakened the hands of the people of God. It says that they troubled them in their building process. And it says in verse 5 that they weren't content to just do it themselves. But they said, we're going to find some help. 
And we're going to hit them with everything we've got. And we're going to attack them on every side. And it was for this reason, according to verse 5, to frustrate their purpose. To frustrate their purpose. And that's what I want to preach to you about tonight. Frustrating his purpose. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody, right now. Let's just talk to the Lord. We love you, Jesus. Come on, let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's lift our voices to the Lord. We've got to drive out some things here tonight. We've got to get a hold of God tonight. We've got to let the Holy Ghost do a work in this house tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. I am calling on the good saints of God tonight that care about the work of God in this city to pour yourself into this message tonight. And when the devil tries to bog it down, would you help me fight through it? Can I count on some of you? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to fight the devil tonight. I'm going to fight him tonight as I try to preach. I can promise you that. I, I, I would not be surprised at anything he tries to keep this message from going forward tonight. So I just need to know there are some good saints that are going to help me fight in the spirit. But you're not here tonight to take a vacation. You're not here for a rest. You're here to do battle to see the work of God go forward. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated just to bring to your memory since it has been so long in our study of the scriptures that uh, since we went to the book of Ezra and we talked about what's going on in the book of Ezra. Um, just a reminder that Ezra was one of those who was a leader of the children of Israel when they came back from the captivity in Babylon. They were on their way back and they came with a goal and with a purpose and with a vision and with a calling that we've got to rebuild Jerusalem. We've, we've got to restore the city. It's, it's time. We've been in bondage too long and, and it's time for there to be a revival in our land and, and it's time for the house of God to be everything God wants it to be. 
And I'm telling you that as they came, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you that as they came, as they began to arrive, there was an excitement in their hearts. There was an anticipation among the people. They were so anxious to the work of God. They, they were so happy about what God was doing. They, they were so tired of their bondage and, and so ready to be back in the land God had told them that they could have. And, and they were so anxious and, and so excited about revival coming. And, and that excitement and that anticipation resulted in a tremendous outpouring of participation. Now don't sit on me now. Does that word scare you? It resulted in a huge outpouring of participation. Ezra chapter 3 verses 6 and 7. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet now, laid. They haven't even laid the, the foundation yet, but they know what's about to happen. I'm telling you, there's an excitement. And so they start offering sacrifices. This is an act of worship. They're getting themselves into a mindset. They're, they're, they're creating an atmosphere. We're going to start worshiping God now. We, we haven't even seen the beginning of what's going to happen, but, but we know it's coming and, and we're going to create an atmosphere and we're going to start worshiping right now. And so on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not even laid yet. They Read. Gave, they gave money also unto the masons. I'm telling you, they were so excited about it. They opened up their wallets and they began to pay. They began to do whatever they had to do. We got a work to be done. I don't care what it costs me. I'm not interested in my own benefit right now. I've got a vision. I've got a goal. I want to see the house of God go forward. I want to see the work of God go forward. I want to see the people of God strengthened. I want to see the city of God revived and renewed. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I gotta do. I don't care how much I gotta pay. I don't care what you ask. None of that matters. We just gotta build. So they gave money to the masons and to the, and to the carpenters, carpenters. And the meat and drink. And they and fed them unto them inside and to them entire to. To bring cedar trees from they Lebanon. brought in the cedar trees. To the Sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of Cyrus, king of Persia. Yeah, they, they did everything. They did everything they could do. There was no cost too great. There was no sacrifice that was too demanding. It didn't matter what anybody asked of them. They were excited about revival. I'll do it. I'll give it. I'll pay it. I'll, in, I, I, I'll do. It doesn't matter. I just want revival. I just want revival. I just want to see my city's been torn down. Everything we hope for. You, you understand when they left, when they left captivity, they came back to a city that was wasted and, and a temple that was destroyed. And they said, we can't live like this. We don't like this. We're not happy with things looking the way they look. We're not here to just set up our 
our homes and, and just live in a place like this where we're not going to stop the way things are now. We've got visions. Hey man, we, we've got dreams. We've got hopes. We've got goals of what's going to take place, of what needs to take place. And, and we don't care what it takes out of us to get it done. We're going to do it. See, perhaps the most significant description of their spirit and their attitude is found in Ezra 3, verse 1. And when the seventh month was come. Now listen to this. Read. And the children of Israel were in the cities. Yes. The people gathered themselves together. The people together gathered themselves together. As one man. To as, as one man. They gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. They didn't come there, everybody wanting to do their own thing. They weren't fussing and fighting about the color of the stone that was being used. They weren't arguing about who was doing what and who was going to get credit for what. But the Bible said they came as one man. It was as though it was just one man there. That You know what that means? They were all thinking the same thing. They were all on the same page. They all had the same goal. They all had the same desire. They came to Jerusalem as one man. Listen. It is a scriptural fact that absolutely nothing can stop a work that is being done through a unified effort. That's not my opinion, that's God's opinion. Genesis chapter 11, verse number six. And the Lord said, Behold. And wait a minute, and who said? Who said? And the Lord said, Behold, the, Behold, people, is one, the people is one. And they have all one and language. They all are speaking the same thing. And this they begin and to do. This they begin to do. And, now nothing and now nothing will be restrained, will be restrained from them, which they have imagined, which they have to, imagined to do. The Lord said, When the people get together, the Lord said, When the people quit fussing and fighting among themselves, the Lord said, When the people have one mind and one heart and one goal and one purpose, the Lord said, Anything they dream of is going to come to pass. Anything they desire is going to We can have 50 different dreams and never accomplish anything. But if 50 of us would have the same dream, there's nothing, there's nothing that can be refrained from us. They came to Jerusalem as one man just one man no big eyes no little u's they couldn't care less it was not possible for them to care any less about who got the credit for what all they wanted was for the work to be done it's all they wanted it's all they wanted and so they didn't care that's why they opened their wallets 
That's why they gave of their time. Because they had one mind. They had one goal. They had one purpose. Well, hallelujah. Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests, and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites, they appointed Levites. from 20 years old and upward uh-huh. to set forward the work of the to house of the Lord. start doing the work of God. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward to set the forward workmen, the in, the workmen in the house of God. The sons of Hinnadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And so the excitement just continues. We're finally beginning to realize our dream. It's within reach. It's, it's within our grasp. And, and, and they're excited about it. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, the, excitement, the excitement's not dying down. The excitement's getting bigger. It's, it, it, they're, they're getting more anxious the closer that they get to, to accomplishing the goals. Listen, let's read on. Uh, just pick up right there, verse 10. Start reading. And when the builders laid the foundation the of the And when the builders laid the foundation of the house of the Lord... They set the priests in their apparel with trumpets. Here come the priests and with the their Levites, trumpets. The sons of Asaph, symbols uh-huh. to praise the Lord, Lord after the ordinance of after David, the ordinance king of, of David, Israel. the king of Israel. Read. And they sang together. And they started the singing and praising and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because God's good for his mercy and His mercy endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shout. You get that? All the people did what? Shouted. Shouted. All the people. All the people shouted. With a great shout. How? How? Say it again. With a great shout. They they weren't just oh praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, that's right, preacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Do you understand what's going on? It's our temple. We're finally seeing it. We're finally experiencing it. This is what we've longed for. This is what we've dreamed for. This has been it. This is what we've hoped for. This is it. This is it. We're seeing it happen. And all the people shouted with a great shout. They all shouted with a great shout. Read. When they praised the Lord. When they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Not because there was a great beautiful temple before their eyes, but they could see it starting to come together. That's all it took. That's just, just, just let me see a little bit of it. Let, let, me, let me just see a little, let me see a little something of it. And, and, and when I see it, it's, that's all I need. Just, just seeing it start to come together. Just seeing it start to take place. That's, that's enough. And, and I'm telling you, they just got lost in their worship. 
and they all shouted with a great shout. Read. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with, wept a, loud with voice, a loud voice. And many shouted, and many aloud, shouted for joy, aloud for joy. So that the people could so not discern there was no way the noise tell the the shout of joy between the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping and the, of the weeping people. of the elders. So the people shouted with a loud because shout. Because the people shouted with such a loud shout. And the noise was heard afar off. Is this what I'm telling you? It wasn't just, oh, praise the Lord. They let it ring so loud, you didn't have to be right there on the Temple Mount to hear what was going on. Everybody around knew something's going on in Jerusalem. Something's happening over there at the house of God. People are getting excited. People are starting, amen, to get beside themselves. They don't care what anybody else thinks right now. We've waited too long for this. We've heard our fathers talk about it. We've known it was coming, but we're getting to live to see it. We're getting to, we are getting to experience it for ourselves. I know there's nothing but a foundation, but the foundation's there. This is it. This is the beginning. This is where it all starts. The fulfillment of the dreams. 70 long years in captivity. Their one hope, their one prayer. Got to get back to Israel. We got to get back to Jerusalem. One of the captives there wrote, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her, her cunning. Let, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I forget Jerusalem, it's my chief joy. It's what I desire. The one thing they dreamed of at night, go back to Jerusalem. Bring it back to its former glory. Let's see it once again, just like God promised it. And now, now, can't have church with just a foundation, but this is a start. And the start was worth shouting about. Now listen, I want to tell you something. All of this, all of this coming about, this, this unity of purpose, and this, this generosity in their giving and in their labor and this worship that's going on. It wasn't just something that the people dreamed up on their own. But this was a purpose that had been designed by God himself. Ezra, go over to chapter 1 and verse number 5 and, and read for us what the Bible says in Ezra chapter 1 verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised. With all them whose spirit God had raised. To go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. This wasn't just the dreams of some old men. This wasn't just somebody's fancy, you know, somebody's idea that it would sure be nice to have a temple in Jerusalem again. 
But the Bible says God put it in their spirit. God's the one that put something down on the inside of them. God is the one that stirred them up. God's the one that said, go back. It's time to build a house. Go back. It's time to restore the walls. Go back. It's revival time in the promised land. Go back. God put that desire in them. God gave them that dream. This wasn't the purpose of Zerubbabel. This was the purpose of God. But there was a problem. Because everything started off so well. We read chapter 3. They show up in Jerusalem as one man. We read in chapter 3. They're giving offerings and preparing meals and bringing in laborers and shipping in trees and doing everything they can do to get the house of God back in order again. And they're so excited and all is well in chapter 3. And they started right. But chapter 4 tells a different story. Things begin to change in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, read. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity... When the people of God start getting excited about something... When the people of God start making some progress, mark it down, honey, the devil takes notice. The enemy pays attention to what's happening. The enemy pays attention to what's going on. And this shout that went up wasn't just heard by the people who were excited. It was heard by the people who didn't want it to happen. And when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, what they do? Then they came to Zerubbabel. They came to Zerubbabel. And to the chief of the fathers and said unto and them. said to them. Let us build with you. Let, let, let us join up with you. We want to be a part of this. For we seek your God see, as we, we do. We serve the same God you serve. And we do sacrifice unto him since the day. We worship Osar just like you worship. Had done king of Asser, which brought us up hither. Same God, same worship, same message. We want to help you. We want to work with you. We're part of you. That was not the case. They didn't have any intention on furthering the work. Their intention was to frustrate the work. Their intention was to stop the work. And let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something. These people claimed to serve the same God. They claimed to worship the same way. They wanted to infiltrate the true people of God for nefarious purposes. And that's the way the devil always works. In fact, Jesus said this would happen. Matthew 13, who did I give Matthew, brother? Goff. Matthew 13, verse 25. Now, listen to what Jesus says here. Read. But while men slept, his enemy came and his sowed tares. His enemy came and sowed tares. 
Among the wheat. Among the wheat. Now, who are the tares? Go down to verse 38 of that same chapter. The enemy comes in, and it looks like wheat in the beginning. In fact, they tell me that between tares and wheat, really, really, for most of the growing period, you can't tell one bit of difference between tares and wheat. They look just the same. The difference is tares don't bear grain. There's no fruit. We talked about that this morning. But until it's time to produce, you can't tell the difference between tares and wheat. And so the enemy goes in and sows what looks like wheat among the wheat. But it's there to drain the wheat of the nutrients it needs. It's not there to help. It's not help. You understand? It's not helping the farmland for the tares to be there. There's only so much nutrient in the soil. And that tear is taking part of the nutrient away from the wheat. And so the wheat can't really grow to be as strong as it needs to be as long as the tares are there. Now, who, who are the tares? Verse 38 tells us. The field is the world. Uh-huh. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Right. But the tares are but the children the tares of are the wicked the children one. children of the wicked one. Let me tell you something. We've seen it around here. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just telling you, we've seen it around here. Folks who come in, we watch the church seem to flourish with people who said, we serve the same God. We worship the same way. But their goal and their purpose was not to help us. It wasn't to make us grow. Well, Hallelujah. This is just the way the devil works. I mean, you might as well count on it. He's going to do it. But thank God, there were some leaders. Zerubbabel and the other elders said, you know, we're on to your game. We, we, we understand who you really are. You're not fooling us. You're not kidding us. We know who you are. We know what you want. And you've got no part here. Now, I know sometimes you don't understand leadership. You don't understand why we get up and preach things and it makes people mad and they decide to walk away. We're not trying to run anybody off, but we are trying to sort out tares and wheat. And the real wheat will take good preaching. I said the real wheat doesn't mind strong holiness preaching. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what, I've, I've talked many times about the church that I grew up in, the miracles that we saw, the things that we witnessed God do, and, and, and all kinds of miracles that can happen. But I want to tell you something about that church. If that church ever got bogged down, all the pastor had to do was step to the pulpit and start declaring the holiness of God and start preaching righteousness and start preaching against sin, and it would come alive again. That church loved it. It thrived on hard preaching. They didn't get mad. They didn't bow up. They didn't run out. They didn't pack their bags. So you may not understand. You may not understand. But see, the people didn't know what Zerubbabel knew. They didn't know all this. But Zerubbabel understood. This is not, this is, they're not, they're not who they say they are. They're not here to help us. They're here to hurt us. And we're not going to let you join with us. We're not going to let you come and 
be a part of this because all you want to do is destroy us. Well, you know, let, let, me, let me tell you, unlike some saints, the enemy never gives up. Sometimes God's people do, but the enemy never does. And he didn't succeed with that attempt, but that didn't make him walk away and forget it. He was determined there's too much excitement here. There's too many good things happening here. I'm not going to give up. I will stop this work. So chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Brother Merriman. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people so of Judah. So they weakened the hands of the people of Judah. And troubled and them. And troubled building. them in the building process. And hired counselors. And hired counselors against them. To frustrate their purpose. To frustrate their purpose. All the days of, All Cyrus, the days king of, of Persia, Cyrus, king of Persia. Until the, the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, now listen, the word frustrate. This, 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 um, this, this. Verse says they hired counselors to frustrate their purpose. Frustrate their purpose. The word frustrate, according to Strong's, means to break asunder, to make void, to defeat, to disannul, to disappoint. Webster's Dictionary defines frustrate as to feel defeated. To feel worthless, to feel disappointed. The word purpose is closely related to another Hebrew word that means determination. So here's what I'm telling you. The enemy said we can't get in there and stop it, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do everything in our power to defeat their determination. What I see right now is a unified people who have got one goal in mind. They're going to build a house for God. So you know how we're going to stop that? We're going to frustrate them. We're going to do everything we can do to get them frustrated to where they lose their determination. They got other goals. They've got other things they're thinking about. They got other problems they're dealing with. They're too focused on doing the work of God. We got to distract them. We've got to divide them. We've got to do something to keep them from accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. Don't sit on me now. I'm just now getting where I want to go. Hallelujah. They knew that if they could simply wear the people down, they'd lose their determination and eventually they would stop building. And so they hired counselors. They brought in reinforcements. They bribed officials. They did everything they could do to bring enough distraction and discouragement to eventually make the people forget about their determination and simply give up. And can I tell you, that's exactly what happened. All the excitement, all the giving, all the working, all the shouting, in the midst of all that frustration began to crop up. In the midst of all that strife began to crop up. Problems began to come in. And before long, they're not shouting as loud. 
and they're not running as fervently and they're not clapping they're not they're not singing as loudly and all of a sudden they're not thinking about this building and this temple and this work and this revival they're they're thinking about their frustrations and what so-and-so did and what somebody said and how somebody treated me and what happened here and, and who did this and who got the credit for that. And and, and listen, in all the excitement I read about, everything I read about, chapter 4, verse 24, read this. Then ceased the work then of the house of God. Then ceased the work. Of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased. So it ceased the second year to the, the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now look, the decree had been made two years before they laid the foundation. Are you with me? Decree is made. Two years later, they finally get the foundation laid. The enemy comes in and frustrates them. To the point that they stopped working. And they stopped for 14 years. They didn't pick up another brick. They didn't lay another stone. No more offerings. No more burnt sacrifices. 14, I feel the Holy Ghost. 14 long years nothing else is done because the enemy frustrated their purpose now 14 years later there's a prophet by the name of Haggai who comes in and said look at you I probably should have given somebody this one too but Haggai says, look at you. You're living in your sealed houses. You make sure the gutters are up on your house. But look at the condition God's house is in. You make sure that you've sealed all the windows of your house. But look at the condition God's house is in. You'll take time to make sure your house is clean. But look at God's. This is what Haggai preached to him. That was 14 years after they had laid the, the, the foundation. 14 years. Haggai. Zechariah steps on the scene and says, Oh, Zerubbabel, it's not going to be by might nor by power, but God's going to help you. If, if you'll do what God called you to do, it's time to get the work done. And so thank God for Haggai and Zechariah who went in and began to preach and stirred something up in the hearts of the people. And once again, amen, that, that vision was renewed and, and that joy was restored and, and that determination came back and, and they began to work again until they got it finished. They didn't stop this time. They, they didn't quit this time, but, but they kept on working until the work of God was done. But it was 14 years, Brother Goth. 14 years wasted because they let the devil frustrate the purpose.
Church, I don't have to tell you. It, it's already been said. Brother Jared said it in opening the service tonight. And, 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 and son, you, you didn't even realize how many things you said tonight that were right in my notes. God's made a lot of promises to this church. There's no question that God has a purpose for this assembly. I'm not talking about my dreams. I'm not talking about my hopes. I'm not talking about my goals. I'm talking about God's purpose for new life. It's been expressed by preacher after preacher after preacher. Service after service. Prophecy after prophecy. Sermon after sermon. God has said to this church what he wants to do and what he plans to do and what his purpose is. And I've seen times when we've gotten excited about that purpose. And I've seen times when we've poured ourselves in to the promotion of that purpose. There's no sacrifice too great. There's no amount of money too high. I'll give whatever I've got to give. I'll do whatever I've got to do. We got to get this thing built. We got to get the work of God accomplished. But I'm going to tell you what's going on around here right now. The enemy is doing his best to frustrate the purpose of God. He's trying to frustrate the people. I'm telling you, listen to me. He's trying to frustrate the people of God. He's bringing strife. He's bringing contention. He's doing everything he can to try to bring division. I'm still preaching new life. And I'm trying to wake you up to realize we don't have 14 years to wait. Somebody is going to have to square their shoulders back and stand up straight and tall and say, oh, devil, you almost won. But I see again now. I remember that vision. I remember that goal. I know what we're working towards. And we're going to get there. Whatever we got to do. Whatever we've got to pay. However much we got to sacrifice. We're not going to stop until the building is built. I'm going to tell you, listen to me, church. It's not the first time you've heard me say this. Listen to me. Right now, in some of your homes, there is so much frustration. There is so much strife in your home. Do you understand why it's there? Do you understand why the tension is there? It's not an accident. Do you know why you're fussing more than you've ever fussed? Do you know why you're fighting more than you've ever fought? Do you know why? Do you understand why? It's not just that things are not going so well. 
It's that it wasn't that many months ago that we were seeing people come through these doors and we were seeing things starting to happen and all of a sudden a temple starting to be erected and God starting to build a building and something's happening and the people are getting excited. 5.30 prayer? Oh yeah, pastor, I'll be there. Oh yeah, I'll come. Oh, there's no question. I'll get up. I'll be there. I'll pray. Fast? Oh yeah, I'll fast. And the devil saw that excitement and he said, I know what to do. I've done this before. And so he gets husband against wife, wife against husband, children against the parents, parents against the children. He creates a home that is filled with strife. You know why that stops the work of God? Because the strife isn't left at home. You come to church and that cloud's hanging over your head. You come to church and that frustration is still there. I'm preaching to some of you tonight. You know, this is what I told you a while ago. If I ever felt like I've got a word from God, I feel like I've got a word from God tonight. Please understand, hear your pastor as I tell you, what's going on in your home is not an accident. And I want to tell you the way to get it fixed. Pray it out. Well, I heard a preacher say one time, he said, I, uh, my wife and I were fighting. He said, we, it, it, I mean, just, and it really seemed like it was just silly stuff. And, and he said, all of a sudden, I shook myself. And he said, I took her by the hand. And I looked her in the eye and I said, honey, I want to tell you what's going on. The devil has just put a spirit of strife between us. Let's pray till it's gone. Oh, but I'm right. He's wrong. I'm right. She's wrong. How does any of that matter if it's going to stop the work of God? Do you understand it's your loved ones that are waiting on revival to come? You understand it's your friends, your co-workers you've been praying for, working on. They're the ones that are waiting for us to get to where we need to be. Will it be worth losing a few arguments? Will it be worth just taking the, the, the humble side once in a while? Will it be worth just stopping in the middle of a fight and say, why don't we find an altar? Why don't we take some time and pray our way through this? Church, don't just amen me. Put it into practice. He wants to put frustration in our homes. He wants to put frustration in our relationships. He gets people in the church mad at each other. Well, you got real quiet on me there. Some little something that's said, some little something that's done. And before we know it, we're arguing, we're mad. We're carrying a chip on our shoulder. We're upset at somebody. Look, what does all of it matter in the long run? Why is it worth putting off revival for 14 years? Who cares who's right? 
You want to know who's right? God's right. That's who's right. And truth be told, there's probably a little bit of wrong in both sides. So what does it matter? Why don't you get together with one another and pray your way through it? Brother, it's not worth this. It's not worth frustrating God's purpose. It's not worth losing the revival that God has sent. It's not worth it. I'd rather just say you're right. I'd rather just eat humble pie. I'd rather just say I'm dead wrong and see revival go forward than to try to stand my ground and cost the church another 14 years. Hallelujah. Strife does hinder things. I, uh, who did I tell you to get First Peter? First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I should have thrown this in a minute ago, and I kind of got ahead of myself, but we'll read it now. It's still good. First Peter 3 and 7. Likewise, ye husbands, ye husbands dwell with them dwell according with you, to knowledge. According to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife. Giving honor to your wife. As unto the weaker vessel. As unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs being together. Heirs the together, grace of life. The grace of life. That your prayers not, be not hindered. So that. So that. Your prayers aren't hindered so that you don't frustrate the purpose of God. Strife frustrates God's purpose. Strife frustrates God's purpose. It's not just husbands and wives. It's not just parents and children, brothers and sisters within the church. Even strife between the pulpit and the pew. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, the devil will take every opportunity he can to get you mad at your pastor. He'll, he'll do everything he can to make you misunderstand. He'll do everything he can. You want to know why? Because if you're mad at me, I'm not effective when I preach to you. And then it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You're not really getting fed. You're not really getting what you need. I'm not telling you I'm perfect. I make mistakes. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm far from perfect. I'm human. But I'm going to tell you this. When there's strife between the pulpit and the pew, the work of God is frustrated. And we can't go forward. And we can't see things happen the way they need to happen when there's strife. In fact, let me show you this. James chapter 3 and verse 16. You got that one for me, brother? Jared, read. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Where envying and strife is. Where strife is. Everyone say where strife is. Everyone say where strife is. There is what? Confusion and every evil work. Every Evil work. Do you understand that strife is the doorway for all, of e of, uh, for all evil? Strife is the doorway for all evil to come in. That's the way it gets in a church. That's the way we end up succumbing to things that are ungodly. 
It starts, believe it or not, with a spirit of strife. Where strife is, there's every evil work. Is that in the Bible or is it not? Where strife is, there's every evil work. As long as we're frustrated with one another, as long as we, as we have the frustrations going on, we're distracted, our minds are distracted, our purpose is distracted, and church, we will not go forward. Somehow, in the midst of our frustration, we have got to somehow, once again, restore the original unity, the original excitement that will renew that determination. Hey, let me set the record straight. We are not remodeling this church because there's a wedding coming. We're remodeling this church because it needs to be remodeled because it was in total disrepair and we haven't had the money to do it until now and now's when we got the money so now's when we're doing it. And you want to know why it needs to look good? Because there's a whole lot of souls on their way and I don't want them walking into a dilapidated building that looks like we don't care about God and we don't care about them. When they walk through those doors, I want them to see a place they know we love this house. We keep this place up. We're working hard to make it look as nice as it can. I want them to understand this is where we found salvation. This is where we found truth. This is where our lives were turned around. We love this house. Well, somehow, we've got to get back to that spirit of unity, that spirit of excitement. Matthew 18, and I've taught on what this means, but I also, when I taught on it, I expressed that there's one interpretation, but many applications. And so I'm preaching tonight about the application of this verse and not the interpretation of the verse. But Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Hallelujah. And again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. If two of you can just agree. If you can end the strife, if you can stop the bickering, if you can stop the fussing, if you can just start agreeing together, if two of you can agree, again, if two of you can agree, as touching, touching anything thing, that they shall ask, that they shall ask, it shall be done for it, them of my Father. It shall be done. Do you hear that, church? If we could just agree. If we could just agree. If we could just agree. That's what the devil does not want, Brother Chad. He doesn't want us agreeing. So he's going to bring up every disagreement he can bring up because he knows when we start agreeing, things start happening. When we start agreeing, we start seeing revival again. When we start agreeing, we start praying people through again. 
Verse 20. For where two or two three, or three are gathered are together gathered in my name. Together, gathered together. Listen, it's one thing to gather, but it's another thing to gather together. That's what's got to happen. We got to get together. Amen. We got to get together. We don't need 75 people sitting on the church, 100 people sitting, whatever. We don't need them sitting here all doing their own thing. We got to come together. We got to get together. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, this is the way revival comes. This is the way it's going to happen. We got to start showing up at Jerusalem as one man again. We got to start coming together as one man again. I'm convinced that if we can somehow recreate the atmosphere of Pentecost, we will once again experience the power of Pentecost. Who's got Acts 2? Brother Brandon, Brother Jared made mention of it when he's leading service tonight. Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 1, and when... The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all, they were all with one accord. They were all of one mindset. They were all as one man. I'm not at church tonight trying to get my needs met. I'm at church tonight trying to meet the needs of the kingdom of God. If I can come together with God's people and do my part to see to it that the needs of the kingdom of God are met, then my needs will be met. God will take care of it. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what's going to happen? Everything else is going to be added to me. Isn't that what he said? If I'll just start seeking God's kingdom, if I'll forget my own purpose, forget my own desires, forget my own will, and start seeking the purpose of God, God will take care of what I need. They were all with one accord in one place, and what happened? Suddenly, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. There came a sound from heaven. It filled all the house it where they were It filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared, there appeared cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Everybody in the house received the Holy Ghost. That doesn't have to be a one-time occurrence. I submit to you, God can still do it in 2013. If we can get together in one mind, in one place, in one accord, the Holy Ghost can still fall and everybody in the house can start talking in tongues again. All right, all right. I've been preaching for a little over an hour, so I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I want to tell you, that's the reason why the devil's working overtime to just keep us frustrated. And I'm, I'm just being honest and transparent. I've felt my share of frustrations over the last few weeks. I have. I'm just being honest. I've had my share of frustrations. 
I've had my share of things that want to distract my attention, get me focused on something else. But God reminded me today, don't take your eyes off the goal. Don't forget about what's, what we're trying to accomplish here. Get your eyes back on that building. I'm not talking about a physical building, though that's a part of it. I'm talking about a spiritual building God's trying to build in this city. We have to understand. See, I told you that when the people got frustrated, the work was put off for 14 years. But I, I want you to understand the work, the work didn't just stop. It was simply postponed. But God's purpose was accomplished. Because some preachers came along and started preaching and stirred up the hearts of the people and they laid aside their frustrations and they got rid of their strife and they started working again. Well, they started working again. Now look, it wasn't an easy job to do what they were doing. You remember reading in Nehemiah how at one point they've got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other? Now I'm talking about an all-day, all-night thing. They're having to do this around the clock. We put a screwdriver in some of your hands for two hours, and you're ready to give up. God, help us. You know, church, I'm, I'm not, because I want to end on a positive note, but I just want to tell you something. I really am not convinced. I'm not convinced that the majority of us really want old-time Pentecost restored. I'm not convinced we really want it. I think we think we want it. But I don't think we understand what it involves. Do you know in old-time Pentecost, of course, they were up at sunup working in the fields all day, not an air-conditioned building, working hard all day, they would come out of the fields and get ready for church. Sometimes traveling 30 minutes, an hour to get to church. They'd get to church and they'd pray hard. I'm not talking about a few little minutes of, of I'm talking about praying hard. When church started, they worshiped hard. When the preacher preached, they preached him on hard. When the altar call was given and the altars filled up, they would spend literally hours sometimes praying in the altars hard. Go home well after midnight. 30-minute drive, an hour drive to get home. Sleep only a couple of hours and start the cycle over because they had church seven nights a week. We complain because we only get four hours sleep, five hours sleep. They weren't getting that, and they were doing it seven nights a week. I'm convinced some of us don't really want old-time Pentecost. 
I, I know I just lost a bunch of you, but it's the truth. It's the truth. We don't want to go back to sleep in two or three hours and, and, and having to work so hard every time we come to church. We don't want that. We've proven that by just sitting through the service, sitting through the preaching, say a few little words of prayer at altar call, and then let's get out and go eat and go home and get to bed because I've got a long day tomorrow. Well, I'm preaching to you. You understand if God really restores old-time Pentecost, it's not going to be easy. And you're not going to be nearly as comfortable as what you are right now. All right, I said I was going to try to end on a positive note. Now look at me. I really am going to try to. They postponed the purpose of God, but they did not stop the purpose of God. They put it off for 14 years, but God did finally do what he said he was going to do. Let me show you something. The book of Isaiah, I don't know who, did somebody get Isaiah 14? Anybody got it? Isaiah 14, got it? Isaiah 14, verses 26 and 27. This is the purpose. This is, is, are the projectors on? Are they? It is on? Can I turn this one on? It may take a minute. Give us a minute. Do what? It's on? All right. Now, it may take a few minutes. I would love to have this one on the wall by the time I quit tonight. And I say a 14 and verses 26 and 27. This is the purpose. Read. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. Upon the whole earth. And this is the hand this that is stretched is the out hand upon all the nations. That is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. Has purposed. And who shall And who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out. His hand out. is stretched out. And who shall turn it who back? shall turn it back? Now, now, again, I don't want to get into too much of the interpretation of this verse of Scripture. This was talking about the judgment of God that was going to come. And, 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 and what he's saying is God has already determined. God has already purposed judgment upon those nations that have, that have fought against my people. God's determined what he's going to do to them. God has a purpose. His hand is already stretched out. And nobody's going to slap God's hand away. When God gets ready to do something, God's going to do it. But this is the principle I want you to see. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? That word disannul is the exact same word in the Hebrew as the word frustrate. Same word. When the Bible says that the enemies of Israel sought to frustrate their purpose, same word, disannul. And the prophet comes along and said, I just want to tell you something, and I want to make it very clear. When God has a purpose, who is that one that's going to frustrate God's purpose? I want to tell you, when God determines something, it's going to happen. I said, it will happen. I said, it 
will happen. You hear me, church? Every promise God has made to new life will come to pass. may do his best to frustrate us but in the end he's not going to disannul the promise of God God's already determined this is his purpose this is God's plan this is God's purpose Matthew I got one more verse in Matthew brother amen Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 this was the last thing that I put on my on, on my notes uh, when the power went out a little while ago we can't stop without reading this one uh, amen Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18 and I will say unto thee and I say unto thee thou art Peter thou art Peter and upon this, and rock, upon this rock I will build my I church I will build my church and the gates of hell, gates of hell shall not prevail shall against not, shall not shall not shall not I want hell to hear it I want the devil to hear it tonight. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. Musicians come. Hallelujah. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to realize we cannot afford to let the devil frustrate God's purpose. In the end, God's going to win. But why would we want to postpone it? I'm ready for revival now. I'm ready to see an outpouring of God's spirit now. Is anybody with me? Are you already weary? Are you already too tired? Or can we once again get a renewing of our vision? Can we see it again? Can we be reminded again? Can we shake ourselves again and say, devil, we're not going to be frustrated. We're going to build God's house. We're going to do God's work. Whatever it costs, whatever it involves, whatever I've got to do. You let a couple newlyweds find out they're expecting and something happens and they get excited. And I'm going to tell you, they don't wait until after the baby's born to start fixing up a nursery. Now, I know after you've had a couple of them, you know Third one comes along, you just open a drawer, you know. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I'm telling you, there's an excitement in the home. We got to get this nursery ready. Do you want to know what we're doing around here, church? You you thought we were getting ready for a wedding? No, 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 no. We're getting ready for a birth. Does anybody care about how the nursery looks? Does anybody want this nursery to be accommodating? Hey, we're not talking about twins or triplets or quadruplets. 
we've had a promise I said we've had a promise God's expressed a purpose it wasn't two and it wasn't three it wasn't even a hundred I'm telling you God's got a purpose we gotta get it ready we gotta get it ready Oh, come on, let's worship God like we really believe it.